Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer on the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Relax while we gently massage weird and wonderful science into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, we'll feature vaccination and autism, but first up, here's the news. New Scientist reports, urination and thinking are closer than you might think. When your bladder is full, it activates an alert part of your brain, as if someone's tapping on your shoulder to say you need to be aware. And experiments in rats show that an overactive bladder changes brain activity. If you have an overactive bladder, you don't just have a bladder problem, there are neurobehavioural consequences. In humans, uncontrolled bladder contractions and frequent urination is often caused by partial obstruction of the urethra, such as in men with enlarged prostates. Rita Valentino, a neuroscientist at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania, mimicked this in rats by surgically constricting the outlet from the bladder. When the team scanned the rats' brains, they found increased activation of a region of the brainstem called the locus coeruleus, which helps control alertness. In normal mammals, this region is activated only when the bladder is full and helps the animal to disengage from other activities. In rats with overactive bladders, however, activation seems to occur all the time. An overactive locus coeruleus triggered increased and disordered activity in the forebrain, which controls higher brain function. This is likely to lead to anxiety, disrupted sleep, and other behavioural problems. The study is the first to show that a bladder disorder can have a direct effect on brain function, which would help explain the psychiatric disorders that often accompany irritable bowel syndrome. New Scientist reports that Viagra could boost orgasms in depressed women. Sildenafil, marketed as Viagra, helps women on antidepressants achieve an orgasm, according to a study funded by the drugs manufacturer Pfizer. A previous study had found that Viagra boosts clitoral blood flow, but not sexual satisfaction. But anecdotal evidence and a small study hinted that the drug could better the sex lives of women on antidepressants. Anywhere from 30 to 70% of people taking antidepressants such as Prozac and Zoloft lose some of their sexual appetite. A pill to combat those side effects could keep men and women on their medication, according to psychiatrist George Nuremberg of the University of New Mexico, Albuquerque, in an upcoming article in the Journal of the American Medical Association. Nuremberg's team gave Viagra, or an identical-looking placebo, to 98 women who were already taking antidepressants and who experienced some sexual dysfunction due to their medication. The participants were told to swallow the pill one or two hours before they expected to have sex. After two months, three-quarters of the women on the placebo pill still had no sexual appetite, compared with just 28% of the women who got the real thing. A further breakdown, based on questionnaires of sexual satisfaction, suggested that Viagra may have helped women reach orgasm and have better orgasms, compared to the placebo group. However, Nuremberg's team noticed no major difference between the groups in other areas, such as desire, sexual drive, and lubrication. And the women on Viagra were more likely to experience headache, flushing, and nasal congestion, known side effects of the drug. For Pfizer, this is good news. 
in the face of competition from other impotence drugs, Viagra's sales, while still around 1.7 billion in 2006, have plateaued, and the drug comes off patent protection in 2011, meaning other companies can then make generic forms of the drug. If the US Food and Drug Administration ever approved the pill for women on antidepressants, a much larger clinical study would be needed to make that case, then this would open up a staggeringly large market. And even if Viagra isn't approved for depressed women, doctors are free to prescribe the pill off-label, and a high-profile journal article could lead to more Viagra prescriptions for women. It's more likely, though, that Pfizer and other drug companies will focus on other drugs that could treat sexual dysfunction in women. One medicine has shown promise in rats, increasing vaginal blood flow. Nuremberg and his co-authors suggest that Viagra, by improving sex, could help women stay on their antidepressants. About 70% of people stop taking antidepressants in the first months of treatment. Get rid of those wrinkles with laser beams. Carbon dioxide lasers cause damage to the skin that boosts collagen production to lessen wrinkles. Carbon dioxide laser resurfacing, which sounds more like something you'd have done to your car rather than something you'd have done to your face, seems to be an effective long-term treatment for facial wrinkles, according to a report in the July-August issue of the Archives of Facial Plastic Surgery. The carbon dioxide laser vaporises water molecules inside and outside of cells, causing thermal damage to the surrounding tissue. As a result, the skin produces more of the protein collagen, which fills in the wrinkles. As well as the structural changes, the healing process often leads to colouring. These changes in colouring may be desirable, such as when patients wish to remove evidence of ageing, like sunspots. However, changes in pigmentation after treatment can be a troubling adverse effect. So, you want more collagen because your collagen production has declined with age and your face looks older. What do you do? You shoot lasers at your face to cause damage so that the facial cells produce lots of collagen in response to the chemical signals produced by the damage. You have to damage yourself to make yourself look younger. Many of the side effects of laser treatment go away within a couple of years. Scientists at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, assessed 47 patients who underwent carbon dioxide laser resurfacing on their entire face between 1996 and 2004. 45% had no complications, and of those who did, 30% had small white cysts or acne, 17% had hyperpigmentation or darkening of the skin, 13 had a lightening, 13% had lightening of the skin, and 2% developed an infection. After an average of two and a third years of follow-up, most of the complications had resolved. Their facial wrinkles had improved by 50%, and they were consistent over all areas of the face. With the exception of one case of excessive pigmentation, which resolved within two years, the only long-term adverse effect was hypopigmentation. This complication was present in 13% of patients. Of course, if you've already had your eyes lasered, your face just might be the next step.
You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio, diffusion at 2scr.com, brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Next, Martin Ficini tells us about the controversy, about the connection, or lack thereof, between mumps, measles and rubella vaccines, and autism. One of the greatest achievements of medical science was the eradication of smallpox, responsible for an estimated 400,000 deaths per year in Europe during the 18th century and 300 to 500 million deaths in the 20th century alone, smallpox was one of the most feared and common infections you could get. Then in 1796, Edward Jenner discovered that by injecting material from a cowpox sore, a closely related virus, people could become immune to smallpox. He named his medicine vaccine, which is derived from the Latin word for cow. As a result of worldwide vaccination, Smallpox became the first and only human disease to be wiped off the planet. Today, doctors recommend vaccination against a variety of diseases such as hepatitis A, B, polio, mumps, measles, rubella, diphtheria, pertussis, tetanus, chickenpox, rotavirus, influenza, meningococcal disease, and pneumonia. Most vaccines work by exposing the body to the very disease-causing pathogens that they're supposed to protect us from. However, the pathogen has been altered so that it can't cause disease. Picture a pathogen as a professional boxer. If you or I were to be put in the ring with him, we would be bashed immediately. However, vaccines expose us to a harmless version of that boxer. Imagine that he has no arms. Now when we get in the ring, we can get close and find out what his weaknesses are. Then, if we find ourselves back in the ring with a fully armed boxer, we would know how to knock him out. Maybe you or I wouldn't be able to knock out Mike Tyson if we knew his weaknesses, but our immune system is a different story. Our immune system is the undisputed heavyweight champion, capable of winning almost any fight as long as we've had a chance to study our opponent and find his weaknesses. So, with the eradication of smallpox, the near elimination of polio, and the protection offered against terrible modern diseases such as hepatitis, pneumonia, and measles, it is perhaps a bit surprising to find out how many people are choosing not to have their children immunized. Many parents today believe that the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine increases the risk of autism in children. This vaccine is given in two doses to children under the age of two. The three vaccines for measles, mumps, and rubella are given together to reduce the number of times that the child needs to visit their doctor and reduce the associated stress with injections. Autism refers to a spectrum of neurodevelopmental disorders that are poorly understood. Children affected with autism show impaired social development and communication. They often exhibit restrictive and repetitive behavior. Many parts of the brain are affected, and few children with autism live independently once they reach adulthood. Autism has a strong genetic basis, but the genes involved and the mechanism are still not understood. Currently, there is no cure. One of the reasons many parents associate autism with the vaccine is that the rates of autism have been rising alarmingly fast over the past 20 years. This rise is very loosely associated with the introduction of the MMR vaccine, and many parents first notice symptoms in their child soon after they're vaccinated. Today, much of the controversy surrounding the link between the MMR vaccine and autism stems from a 1998 scientific study published in the prestigious British medical journal, The Lancet. A group, led by Dr. Andrew Wakefield, a surgeon at the Royal Free Hospital in London, studied a group of 12 children with neurodevelopmental disorders. The parents of eight of the children reported that their symptoms had begun soon after the MMR vaccination. <laughs> the children also suffered from gastrointestinal symptoms. The study concluded that there was a relationship between the gastrointestinal symptoms and the autism. This would have been a new finding. 
Importantly, the paper said it suggested but did not prove a link between the MMR vaccine and autism. Wakefield suggested giving vaccines for measles, mumps, and rubella individually, saying, I can't support the continued use of these three vaccines in combination until this issue has been resolved. The hospital issued a video news release to major broadcasters where Wakefield called for the MMR vaccine to be suspended in favor of the single vaccines. However, these suggestions were not supported by the 12 co-authors of the study, nor any scientific evidence. The subsequent news conference where the results were announced and the ensuing media coverage caused a major health scare in England. The public's faith in the vaccine was destroyed, and some parents of autistic children were both furious and relieved that their observations were being taken seriously by the medical community. However, Dr. Wakefield received an immense amount of criticism. Many of the paper's co-authors were confused at Wakefield's conclusions because they saw insufficient evidence. Also, evidence of unethical behavior by three of the study's authors, including Wakefield, began to emerge. It is alleged that Wakefield himself accepted over 800,000 Australian dollars by British lawyers who were attempting to prove that the MMR vaccine was dangerous. This was two years before the Lancet article was published. He also filed for a patent on individual vaccines for measles, mumps, and rubella, and failed to disclose this to the editors of The Lancet. It is also alleged that Dr. Wakefield performed procedures on the children without the necessary pediatric training and outside the scope of his position in the hospital. In addition, Wakefield abused his position of trust as a doctor by taking children's blood samples at a birthday party and offering money in exchange. The three doctors are also being investigated by the medical board because they failed to apply for and receive the necessary approval from the ethics committee to perform the study. However, they did tell The Lancet that the approval was given. The editors have since stated that had they been aware of these conflicts of interest, the publication would never have proceeded as it did. The medical board also alleges that some of the children did not qualify for the study based on their behavioral symptoms and that they were subject to unnecessary procedures including colonoscopies and lumbar punctures. The medical council had its hearing of these offenses from July 15th to July 18th of this year. If Wakefield and company are found to have acted unethically, they could lose their medical licenses. In the wake of this information, 10 of the study's co-authors have withdrawn their support of its methods and conclusions. In fact, the overwhelming consensus in the scientific community is that there is no link between the MMR vaccine and the development of autism. This position is supported by numerous studies involving hundreds of thousands of children exposed to the vaccine. A study of all the children born in Denmark between 1991 and 1998, that's over half a million children, found no difference in rates of autism between those who were vaccinated and the 100,000 children who were not. Another study from Japan was even more shattering to Wakefield's arguments. The MMR vaccine was introduced in Japan in 1989. However, they decided to switch from the combined MMR vaccine to single vaccines in 1993. A study of over 30,000 children from Yokohama found that the rate of all autism spectrum disorders continued to rise after the combined MMR vaccine was discontinued. This is compelling evidence that the MMR vaccine is not responsible for the alarming surge in autism. This leaves us with the question of why the number of autistic children has gone up so fast in the past 20 years. There have been many suggestions, but the question is still unresolved. It appears likely that changes in diagnostic criteria, increased access to health care, and increased public, public... There have been many suggestions, but the question is unresolved. It appears likely that changes in the diagnostic criteria, increased access to health care, and increased public awareness account for much of the surge. However, it is possible that the actual rate of autism has increased due to some unknown environmental trigger. 
The diagnosis for autism is based on observation of behavior. As such, it can be difficult to accurately diagnose. To be diagnosed, a child under the age of three must show at least six symptoms, including two symptoms of social impairment, one symptom of communication impairment, and one symptom of repetitive behavior. These criteria have been changed from a more restrictive, rigorous set. As a result, more children with borderline symptoms are now being classified as autistic. Also, due to the popularity of drug treatment and an expansion of the benefits to doctors, there is more incentive to diagnose. This may lead to overdiagnosis. Also, preliminary studies have shown that children diagnosed with language impairments in previous decades would be classified as autistic today. While it is clear that there are many factors accounting for the rise in autism, we still don't know if the actual rate of the disease has changed. The shocking actions of this doctor have had negative effects well beyond the 12 children who were exploited in the study. The extensive media coverage and subsequent public outrage dropped the British rate of MMR vaccinations from 94% in 1996 to 84% in 2002. In some areas of London, the rate fell to 61%, which is much lower than the level needed to protect the entire community from measles. Not surprisingly, the rates of measles and mumps infections began to skyrocket. In 1998, there were 56 cases of measles in the UK. In 2006, there were 449 in the first five months of the year and the first death from measles since 1992. Most of the victims were non-vaccinated children. Before 1999, mumps cases were very, very rare. However, by 2005, there were 5,000 reported cases of infection in January alone. Measles and mumps infections continued to rise in 2006 at 13 and 37 times the rates seen in 1997. How did one study with an extremely small number of patients manage to persuade so many people to take risks with their children's health? Surely the media coverage was overblown, but other factors may have been at work. People have been wary of vaccines ever since they were introduced. Quite often they cause mild symptoms of the disease as the body learns how to fight it off. This was more of a problem in the past, considering that the 14 vaccines commonly given today contain less immune-stressing compounds than a single dose of the smallpox vaccine a century ago. Still, there is a small, vocal minority of the population who believe that vaccines are harmful because they contain aluminium and mercury, that they don't work, and that they cause diseases like autism. However, these arguments have been around since vaccines were created and reflect a distrust of the mainstream medical community. In fact, many alternative health practitioners are against vaccines. A 1995 study of American chiropractors found that one-third believed that there was no proof that immunization prevents disease. However, only a small number actively advocate this position to their patients. In contrast, a study of non-medically trained homeopaths in Sydney found that 83% of them don't recommend vaccination. This is dangerous advice from people who are not qualified to determine the risks and benefits of vaccines. Since not even enormous amounts of evidence to the contrary can persuade the most ardent anti-vaccinationists, it is clear that proper communication between doctors and the community is essential to keep the level of vaccinations high enough to protect us all. In 2008, the number of unvaccinated children in England was high enough to support the continuous spread of measles for the first time in 14 years. If Australians don't wish to see diseases like measles become common again, they would be wise to listen to the advice of doctors who are specifically trained in areas such as infectious disease and immunology. Given that there are risks, some religions oppose vaccination, and no amount of evidence can change some minds, compliance will never reach 100%.
But the closer we get, the safer we are from unleashing deadly and disabling diseases that should be distant memories. That was Martin Ficini reminding us all to be good parents and good citizens and vaccinate our children. It's a scientific fact. A scientific fact. It has to be correct. It has to be exact. Because it is, because it is a scientific fact. It's a scientific fact that our high and low tides are caused by the gravitational pull of the moon. It's been proven to be true, like one and one are two. It's checked and double-checked, a fact that can be backed. Because it is, because it is a scientific fact. It's a scientific fact that there are belts of radiation in outer space, which are a hazard for future space flyers to overcome. It's a scientific fact. A scientific fact. It has to be correct. It has to be exact Because it is, because it is a scientific fact So Martin, that was a fascinating story about vaccines. I'm a bit surprised about the homeopaths. I thought their main principle was that a little of what hurts you will protect you against what hurts you. It sounds a lot like vaccination itself, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, but uh, I can't really account for for their lack of... uh, advocation for vaccination other than their general and this is keep in mind non-medically trained homeopaths because there are a small number of rheumatologists or other specialists who do um, embrace homeopathy um, but they will almost certainly also endorse vaccination the trouble comes with people who haven't received medical training in with infectious diseases and um, I can only assume that they might have a treatment for each one of these diseases in their toolkits themselves Yes. So, but that's complete conjecture. <laughs> yes. And of course, it's a real civil liberties issue, the right to not have a vaccine yourself or for your children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, you just can't have a government um, demanding that you inject an unknown substance into yourself. Um, it, it flies in the face of everything we're, we're told to, to believe in as a free society. But, um, and so the, the concept of a conscientious objection was actually created in response to people's um, concerns over forced to become vaccinated. When was that? About 200 years ago in England. Wow. Mm-hmm. So what was the vaccination? Um, I believe it was for smallpox. Um, or it may not have been smallpox, but... It sounds right about 200 years ago. Yeah. So most likely in response to smallpox. But at the time, um, vaccines, it wasn't very scientific, and they did elicit um, a response, and you could actually get smallpox from the treatment. So lots of people were just wary of being forced to be uh, vaccinated because there were all these uh, side effects. Right. Right. But today we don't really see such problems. It's more of a situation from just um, just a general distrust of, of the medical community or right. um, or a lack of... Some people think that their their views, their alternative health views aren't um, aren't taken seriously by their doctors. Mm-hmm. And so they might, they might find homeop- homeopathists who can, you know, uh, agree with them and, and support their beliefs and it'll... It'll help them in the in the short run, but they're actually putting themselves at risk. And once those vaccination levels drop below a certain threshold, then everyone becomes at risk. So that's right. That's where the, the trade-off between civil liberties and the protection of the the entire public becomes a factor. <laughs> like there's uh, there are other examples all over the world of of what happens when the vaccination rates drop. And um, one of the best examples is the the government of Nigeria 
established a formal position to be wary of Western medicine in around 2004-2005. And by 2006, um, Nigeria was accounting for half of all the polio cases in the world. Wow. Did they have a, anything happen to them that made them wary, or was it just general paranoia? It may have just been a, a, a political platform. Right. Right. And you can completely understand how they could bank on that, right, considering the things that have happened in that area. Yes. <laughs> Historically, right? So, and, uh, and yeah, it's just really unfortunate that people could take such a position to, and then it'll, ha- it'll end up affecting so many people negatively. Like, um, Nigeria reported 20,000 measles cases and 600 deaths from January through March 2005. And in 2007, there was an outbreak in one of the states that killed 200 children. So, it's really unfortunate, and it reflects the uh, the importance that the, the vaccinations really hold uh, in keeping these diseases at bay, and how vigilant you have to be. And um, the the prime responsibility is, is proper communication from, from doctors to their patients, because that's really the best way for people to be educated. Right, so it's communication and education. It is, yeah. It all goes back to proper empathic communication. I mean, you have to accept other people's beliefs, even if they're fundamentally against the scientific consensus. You have to respect the people if exactly. not the beliefs. Right, because if you don't respect them, then they'll just go find someone who will, and they may be going to one of those 83% of Sydney homeopaths who don't recommend they vaccinate their children. So, yeah, it, it really highlights um, just the relative importance of proper communication and understanding, which is one of the cornerstones of medical education in the first place. So, And that's all from us in this edition of Diffusion. If you'd like to contact us, if you have feedback, comments, suggestions, or mild praise, then send email to diffusion at 2SCR.com. That's diffusion at 2SCR.com. Or subscribe to our podcast on our website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Contributing to the program, with Martin Ficini. Diffusion has been produced in the studios of 2SCR Sydney and broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Guinea pigs used to be the size of rhinos. Raccoons were the size and ferocity of bears. Oh, it's a fact, so deal with that. It's a fact. Yeah, deal with that The moon is moving away from the earth by 4 centimetres a year And when it's gone we are all well and truly buggered Oh, it's a fact, so deal with that It's a fact, so deal with that Blue whales are bloody massive Their tongues weigh as much as an elephant its heart is the size of a car and some of its blood vessels are so wide that you could swim down them. Oh, it's a fact, you deal with that. It's a fact, so deal with that. Your average pillow, I'm about six years old, is made up from one-tenth of skin, living mites, dead mites, and mite dung. Oh, it's a fact, so deal with that. It's a fact, so deal with that. It's a fact, you deal with that. It's a fact, deal with that.